Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's Sermon Podcast. As we approach God's Word, let's take a prayerful breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Listen to God's Word this day. Good morning. My name is Nelson Rabinald, and I'm still an elder serving on session. Please join me in our unison prayer of illumination. Holy God, our hope and strength, by the power of your spirit, prepare the way of our hearts for the coming of your word, so that we may see the glorious signs of your promise fulfilled. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Turning to God's word this morning, our first scripture is from Psalm 80, verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 19. Listen to God's word. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they, have, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron and his name was, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at that time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. 
Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been, have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During Advent, we will be working with the theme of how does a weary world rejoice, drawing on one of the lines in the hymn, O Holy Night. This week, we begin by saying we acknowledge our weariness. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Speak once more. The word we need to hear is only you can through these human words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Someone passed on to me this week a quote about being an adult. Being an adult is pretty easy. You just feel tired all the time. Tell other people that you're tired and then listen to them tell you how tired they are. Do you ever feel that way? The poet William Wordsworth once wrote, The world is too much with us. Late and soon, getting and spending, we are out of tune. Does that describe your life or the life of someone close to you these days? Do you feel like more than ever you need an extra dose of Christmas lights and Christmas carols? like Mame in the Broadway musical who sang, haul out the holly, put up the tree before my spirit falls again, fill up the stocking, I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now, for we need a little Christmas, 
right this very minute. Need a little Christmas now. We may need a little Christmas right this very minute. And in fact, we've got a little bit of Christmas cheer for you today. But we will be making a mistake if we hurry too fast to Bethlehem and the manger. And we'll be making a mistake if we think that the antidote for our weariness is simply to ignore it or to cover it up with a false jolly cheer. Luke, the gospel writer, certainly wants us to take our time in going to Bethlehem and the manger. He gives us all of chapter 1, 80 verses, before we get to the arrival of the baby in chapter 2. And there's a reason why we read the gospel passage today, but also read Psalm 80, a psalm of lament. But let us begin with Luke and his story of Zechariah. We'll focus more on Elizabeth, his wife, in a future week. Zechariah, what we know, is a country priest. He's in a great line of priests. And by this time, in Zechariah's time, there are so many priests that there's not enough time in the year for each one to lead prayers in Jerusalem. So they draw lots, and Zechariah has drawn the lot. He's gotten lucky, and so he's traveled from his home out in the hills outside of Jerusalem into the temple to take a turn offering prayers and sacrifices on behalf of the people. He has been lucky to have his lot chosen, but Luke also tells us he has not been lucky in life. Elizabeth and he have no children and have no prospect of any since both were getting on in years, Luke tells us. Being childless in first century Palestine was particularly difficult, not just because you lost the experience of being a parent and having a legacy, but also because children then were the social security and medical, Medicare for their parents, the ones who would take care of them in their old age. And Zechariah and Elizabeth do not have that. But even in modern societies with more governmental safety nets in old age, we know infertility can cause terrible heartache. All of the waiting with no end in sight, all of the prayers seemingly unanswered, it's one thing to impatiently wait on something that you know is going to happen like a child at Christmas. It's a whole other thing to wait for something that is not certain to happen, that as more time passes, indeed, seems less and less likely to happen. I wonder if you or someone you love knows what it feels like to be Zechariah. I wonder if there's something that you are waiting for that still seems far off in the distance, if even the possibility is still alive. The yearning for a child, the yearning for a relationship and partner, the yearning for a cure, the yearning for a loved one to escape the power that addiction has over them, the yearning that there would be no more parents burying their children because of the effects of war or gun violence. 
I wonder if you're weary with waiting, weary with the burdens that you are shouldering, weary with the world. Sometimes when we are living with disappointment and unanswered prayers, we may wonder if the problem is us. If we've done something wrong, aren't good enough, or don't have enough faith. Others may think that as well about us, which when you think of it, is a cruel thing to do, to blame the victim. Live right and life will go right. How many of us have, of us have heard others say something like that? Or even Christians, sadly. How many times have we believed that ourselves? In any case, Luke knocks the legs out of that, under the, uh, that argument when it comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They have lived impeccable lives, Luke tells us, and still this has happened. Sometimes live right and life will go right, but sometimes it doesn't, which really shouldn't be a surprise for us, any of us who always have a cross at the center of the sanctuary. As Enuma Okoro writes in her book of Advent Meditations, during Advent we have an opportunity to sit with Zechariah, permission to do so, for a while before we jump too quickly into Angel Gabriel's visit. Zechariah knows something about the difficulty of maintaining faith and hope. And yet here he is, at the beginning of this passage, serving faithfully in the temple. She goes on to write, We know from the witness of the Psalms that acknowledging one's desires and one's sorrows before God was a key part of Jewish prayer and spiritual life. So if Zechariah was able to hold on to his faith despite his sorrow and disappointment, surely the Psalms played an important part for him. Psalm 80 sounds like it could have been written by Zechariah himself. Listen again. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? How long will you be angry with my prayers? You have fed them. You have fed me with the bread of tears, given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Psalms of lament, like Psalm 80, far outnumber the psalms of thanksgiving that you'll find in those 150 psalms. And these psalms can be brutally honest as they name pain and disappointment and even anger with God. I've talked with a lot of Christians who have a hard time with the psalms, these kind of psalms, because the psalms can seem so negative, so angry, almost too honest. But for many people experiencing sorrow or disappointments or even rage, these words mean a lot because they express what they are feeling. And in giving voice to those feelings before the God, the Psalms can offer a way forward, at least one step forward out of despair. What Luke 1 and Psalm 80 reminds us is that while Advent is a season of moving towards the light, Advent can also be a season of acknowledging the darkness of our struggles, our unfulfilled longings, our weariness. 
Advent treats the darkness as very real before claiming that the light of hope is also very real and indeed greater than the darkness. How does a weary world rejoice? First, by acknowledging the weariness. Like the psalmist Zechariah can name his pain, he can acknowledge his weariness, his sadness. But he doesn't give up on God. He still travels from his home to to Jerusalem, and he still takes up his holy duty in the temple. And then God shows up in the form of a messenger, the angel, Gabriel. Gabriel has a message for Zechariah when it is just the two of them in the innermost court of the temple. And it's a message that rocks Zechariah's world. He's to have a son, but not just any son. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord, Gabriel declares. Even before his birth, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. Zechariah is shocked even incredulous, with good reason. He and Elizabeth are old now, past the normal childbearing years, and then there's this news that he's not only to have a son, but a special son, so special that he will probably shatter Zechariah's quiet little life. Indeed, perhaps Zechariah has a sense of foreboding hearing this message, because surely it will be dangerous for any forerunner of the Messiah to go public in a land where he is among a people oppressed by the cruel Roman Empire and their ruthless vassal, King Herod. In light of all that, in light of all that, can you really blame Zechariah for asking Gabriel for a sign? How will I know that this is so, he asked Gabriel. Gabriel seems to bristle at the request. He immediately announces that since Zechariah hasn't believed, he'll become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. And that's exactly what happens. Zechariah will not speak again until the baby is born, his son. Is this silence a punishment for Zechariah, for questioning Gabriel and therefore questioning God? If that is the case, then why isn't the psalmist punished? Because Psalm 80 certainly questions God. Perhaps then Zechariah's silence is not punishment, but is instead just what the doctor ordered. The divine physician's prescription for what Zechariah needs now. I mean, there's a lot for him here to absorb Sometimes, perhaps we need to stop talking and to keep silence so that we can watch and listen and absorb. Sometimes we just need to stop running around and shut up so that we can step back and pay attention and reflect on what God is saying and doing in our lives. Sometimes the last thing we need to do is to be distracted by our frenetic activities, our glib words, sometimes the last thing the world needs are more words from us. As a Franciscan spiritual writer, the Father Richard Rohr has written, silence 
Keeping silence can be a gift. Silence is the ability to trust that God is acting and teaching and using me even before I perform or after my seeming failures. Silence is the necessary space around things that allows them to develop and flourish without my pushing. Silence reminds Zechariah that to be used by God, he doesn't have to do anything extraordinary. I mean, face it, it's God and Elizabeth. They're going to be doing the hard work after all. What he needs to do is to pay attention. He needs, as the recovery movement puts it, to let go and let God. How does a weary world rejoice? By recognizing that joy is not something that we can manufacture by positive thinking or somehow white-knuckle or bootstrap our way by our actions, as Kate Bowler notes in the short YouTube video that some of us heard in our Advent small groups. Instead, joy comes from beyond ourselves. It's a gift from God, the gift that can surprise us even in the midst of our everyday wearying routines. As Gabriel surprises Zechariah here in Luke 1. Joy is the gift from God that is far deeper and more lasting than any happiness that comes from having things go our way. While we all may need a little Christmas now, we don't want to skip over Advent. We don't want to hurry this journey to Bethlehem. We all need time to prepare for Jesus' coming. Perhaps we need to take time to acknowledge our weariness, our own pain and disappointments with God. Perhaps we need to let others pray for us as we, in turn, pray for them. Perhaps we just need to keep on doing our duties like Zechariah, keeping up with our daily tasks for God, for others, for ourselves, but with our eyes, our ears, our hearts open to what God has to say to us, trusting that God will show up in the ordinary round of our days. Perhaps we need some time for silence, for reflecting, for pondering, for listening. The church fathers and mothers gave us a gift when they started marking a season of Advent before Christmas, the gift of time set apart, time to be quiet, because we don't have to wait until Christ to open God's gift for us. We don't have to wait until Christmas to discover that God has entered and continues to enter this weary world and our weary lives. 175 years ago, Edmund Sears was a minister wrestling with despair. Because of his loss of energy, he had cut back to part-time work. He was struggling with affairs in, in the world. There was a war going on in Europe. There was a war going on in the United States on the border with Mexico. In the midst of that weariness, he penned the words for the Christmas carol that came upon a midnight clear. One verse which has these words worth remembering this Advent. O ye beneath life's crushing load, 
whose forms are bending low, who toil all along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Presbyterian Church of Allentown's sermon podcast. We hope you'll join us for worship on Sunday morning. For more information about our congregation and our ministries, please contact the church office. Now go in peace.